This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Today is the 82nd anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. 82 years ago today, um, the Japanese surprise attack on Pearl Harbor occurred, which was what forced America into World War II. Not that we weren't involved before then, but we were not involved militarily. We had been supplying Britain with arms and supplies for the preceding years of the war. But December 7th was what uh, got America involved. Um, and December 7th was the attack. December 8th um, was when uh, the United States declared war on Japan. Japan was allied with Germany. So Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany declared war then on the United States. And it was on. Um 82 years ago today, which is hard to believe. I was in high school during the 40th anniversary. Um, yes, I am that old. Um, but uh, December, I, I always mark December 7th every year. Um, uh, I usually watch the great 1970, I believe 1970 movie, Tora, 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 which is just a masterful piece of storytelling. Um, and, and very historically accurate. And in Torah, 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 they tell the story of Pearl Harbor from both the American and the Japanese sides. So you, you follow the Japanese fleet as they are approaching Pearl Harbor. You know, you, you got, you know, the most, the body of the movie is the actual events of the attack. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Much, much, much better than the uh, Pearl Harbor movie that came out, I want to say, just a few years ago. It's probably been over a decade. The one with Kate Beckinsale and and, uh, whoever else was in it. Um, That was, from a historical point of view, uh, a dog's breakfast. (laughs) But Torah, Torah, Torah was was very good on on historical accuracy. and and so that's that's one that I would commend to you, if you are looking to remember the day. Um, you know, there's not 82 years ago. There's not a lot of survivors left. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, there used to be when I was in high school. Your World War II vets were 60, um, which is pretty close to the age I am now. Um, and you would have on December 7th hundreds of them gathering in Pearl Harbor for the ceremony. 
now, you know, those that are alive may or may not even be traveling there. Um, my understanding is that there will be no more burials on the USS Arizona. The last one or two eligible people have decided not to be interred in the Arizona. Um, and to be interred in the Arizona, you had to have been there and assigned to the ship on December 7th. So not every Pearl Harbor veteran could be interred on the Arizona, only Arizona crewmen who were crewmen at the time of the attack. Um, and uh, divers would take the ashes of the crewmen when they died after the war, and, and uh, divers would carry the ashes down and place them in the wreck. Um, but the last, there's only like one or two eligible left who could be buried there, and they have decided not to be. So, um, you know, being buried rather with their, their families wherever they are or, or some other arrangements had been made. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, there's not going to be a big crowd there this morning um, because World War II is, as I have said before, rapidly passing from memory into history. The people who, who remember it firsthand are few and far between, and, and they are leaving this earth rapidly um, because they are at that age. You know, 82 years ago, if you were 20 at Pearl Harbor, you're 102 now. You know, the, not a lot of 102-year-old people kicking around. Um, so even, you know, younger people, um, I mean, our, our uh, lovely lady at our church who's been a dear family friend for many, many years, um, <clears throat> she uh, she's 87 so she was five when Pearl Harbor took place. And she's 87, which is pretty, getting up there, you know. And, you know my mom was died at 83 or 84. I think she had just had her 84th birthday. So, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people that remember. So think about December 7th today. If, if this is something that you have never been educated on, if it's something you're not familiar with, um, the book that I would recommend is a book by the, the same author who wrote A Night to Remember, which was the, the book on uh, Pearl Harbor, or not Pearl Harbor, the Titanic. Um, <clears throat> his last name's Lord. What's his first name? Now i got to look it up. Because um, I want to recommend this book to you. So let me look up Day of Infamy of Infamy Day of Infamy Lord Walter Lord why couldn't I remember that yes Walter Lord's Day of Infamy that is an excellent popular level history book on the attack on Pearl Harbor it's history it's not fiction and very well researched Walter Lord is an excellent popular level historian. I said his book, A Night to Remember, is 
still one of the best books on the events of the sinking of the Titanic, not from a mechanical point of view, not from, you know, what happened to the ship, because they didn't know that until it was discovered. Um, and even then, there's speculation on how the ship broke up and everything on its descent to the bottom. But on on the, he was he did a real good job of talking about what the people went through on the ship, with interviews from survivors, etc. Um, so that's you know, he did uh, Night to Remember Walter Lord, but his book on Pearl Harbor is also excellent. Day of Infamy by Walter Lord. If uh, if you're looking to educate yourself on the events of that day, um, and if you're looking to educate yourself on the entire topic of World War II, I would recommend The Second World Wars by uh, Victor Davis Hanson. Um, that's a good place to start there. Um, there are other, you know, Eagle Against the Sun is excellent for the war in the Pacific. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the ad author either. It's back here on the shelf behind me. I have a history section, <laughs> uh, which is, comes as no surprise. Um, I have an entire shelf dedicated to American history. And then I've got a couple of shelves full of world history, everything from, uh, the ancient world, to the medieval world to, uh, uh, some more modern era stuff. So, 82 years ago today, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Well, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, <laughs> current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter and Facebook and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian podcast community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. Over 50 podcasts. And growing. So uh, I encourage you to check that out. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have our scripture reading. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Theology Thursday. We are looking at chapter 18 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And today we are looking at paragraph 3 of 4 as we continue to work our way through the 1689. And we're just taking our time. We're not in any hurry rushing through any of it. Because we're going to do another podcast tomorrow. And we're going to have another Theology Thursday next week. So we have no need to hurry. We can take our time and relax and think about these things. All right, let's begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. 
O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture reading today is Genesis 4 and Psalm 4. Obviously, having been started on the same day, our chapter in Genesis and our psalm reading are in sync, and they will be until we finish Genesis. Just funny how that works. So Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now cursed are you from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will be that whoever finds me will kill me. So Yahweh said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one who found him would strike him. Then Cain went out from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Then Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mahujael, 
and Mahujiel was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. And Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada gave birth to, to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, give ear to my word, for I have killed a man for striking me and a boy for wounding me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Then Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has set for me another seed in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of Yahweh. And now Psalm 4. For the choir director, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my glory become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that Yahweh has set apart the Holy One for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Ponder in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in Yahweh. Many are saying, Who will show us good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Yahweh. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me abide in safety. And now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. And today's devotional is entitled, The True Source of Bread. Give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. And just for reference, because we know we're out of sync with the date of the book, <laughs> this is actually the devotional for May 25th. Um, I like to give that out just every once in a while. So if you're trying to follow along in your copy at home, you'll have an idea where we are. The True Source of Bread. Dr. MacArthur writes, Jesus' reference to bread not only signifies food, but all of our physical needs. It is amazing that the self-sufficient, infinite God of the universe would care about our physical needs, that we have enough food, clothing, shelter, and then pledge to supply those needs. Thus, God is the only source of our daily bread. When everything is going well in life, we tend to think we are managing it all ourselves. Yet even the hardest working person owes all he, ha he or she earns to the Lord's gracious provision. See Deuteronomy 
and Acts 17, 24-28. God provided for humanity even before he created Adam and Eve. They were his final creation. And one of the first things he said to them was, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Genesis 1.29 God has fulfilled this statement abundantly and in unlimited ways ever since. Yet Paul teaches that in the latter days some will advocate abstaining from food which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe, 1 Timothy 4.3. But the apostle reminds us, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. This part of the Lord's Prayer is an affirmation appropriate for the well-fed and those who have little. But if we can thank God that every good thing come but it, by it we can thank God that every good thing comes from his gracious hand James 1:17 Ask yourself what are some of the more mundane ordinary forgettable things you not only ask uh, excuse me What are some of the more mundane, ordinary, forgettable things you not only can ask God for today, but can also transform into your into a prayer of gratitude? How can you make this refresher course in God's gracious gifts become a more regular part of your conscious thoughts and prayers? You know, it's a it, asking for our daily needs to be met by God is a perfect opportunity to praise him for his provision and give thanks for all that he has done. So that is Daily Readings in the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. And now it's Theology Thursday. So chapter 18 of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. There are four paragraphs. We're looking at the third paragraph today. I will read the first two and then we will... Jump into the third. Paragraph 1. Although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to work in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Paragraph 2. This certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit, unto which promises are made, and on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, and, as fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. And now our paragraph for today, paragraph 3. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer 
may wait long and struggle with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may without extraordinary revelation in the right use of means attain thereunto. And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far as it is from inclined so far is it from inclining men to looseness. So he's saying here that or the sixty eighty nine says here the 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 essentially the Westminster divines <laughs> Um, the uh, 1689 is an adaptation of the Westminster Confession of Faith for Baptist use as opposed to Presbyterian use. Um, and, and originally it was intended to be uh, for the Church of England, but it was rejected by Parliament. A um, whole lot of history there involving the the. English Civil War and the fact that Puritans <laughs> fell out of favor after the Civil War and after the death of Oliver Cromwell. So I think, and I think quite a few of them were out of favor while Cromwell was in power. They did not govern well, which actually has nothing to do with their uh, theology, but rather with other issues that uh, um, were an issue. <laughs> That's a topic for another time. But the writers of the 1689 talking here in this paragraph about the fact that even true believers, it, it, that assurance is a process of maturing. That as the Christian grows in maturity, he becomes more assured of his position with God. Um, if the assurance comes from believing in the, the promises of God. And as we grow closer to God, we come to trust him more and more. It's not that he becomes more trustworthy. It's that we come to trust him more and more. Um, Fiona the Mouse, who is here to my left, sleeping right now, she was never handled um, before I got her. She was about six months old um, when uh, I received a call that the uh, person who had her was no longer able to take care of her. Uh, but she had never been handled. And so even now, she's been with me for months, um, close to a year. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and figure out when I got her. But she's been living here for a while. And uh, she will take food from my hand. But she doesn't trust me enough to sit in my hand and let me pet her and let me play with her like a rodent that I had raised would be. Because um, you have to... They have to be tamed. They have to be. Now, she's gotten more trustworthy or more trusting. But it has nothing to do with, you know, 
my trustworthiness, I'm not going to hurt her. But she is wary of allowing me to handle her. Which leads to interesting tussles every time we clean her cage because it's hard to get her into uh, her little temporary abode while we clean this one out. But as the Christian, we're like the mouse. You know, God is perfectly trustworthy, but we have to learn to trust him. And that's a process of maturing and walking with the Lord. His trustworthiness is there from day one. But we, because we are, because we are untrustworthy in ourselves. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, think about the times you've let people down. You said you'd do something and then you didn't. Think about the times you left, let yourself down. I mean, heavens, we're coming up on New Year's. How many of us, excuse me, how many of us have made New Year's resolutions that we didn't carry through on? Those are promises to ourselves. If, if, if you can't trust yourself, other people can't trust you. And because we live our lives as untrustworthy human beings, I'm talking in an absolute sense. I'm not saying that there aren't people, you know, that are trustworthy. I'm saying in an absolute sense that we are all going to let people down. And we are all going to be let down. And we are even going to let down ourselves in that we don't follow through on our promises to others and to ourselves. So if we are untrustworthy and we are surrounded by untrustworthy people, it's hard for us to learn to trust. And it's hard for us to recognize the fact that God is absolutely trustworthy. He will never let us down. You know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. The, the, the promises of God are the only sure thing in the world. And so... The infallible assurance, it says, you know, the insurance isn't fallible, does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and struggle with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. It requires us to grow and mature in our faith before we can really be assured of our salvation, before we know, you know, God promised, and I believe his promises. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. And that is, that takes, that takes a while for the human brain to process. Because we are not trustworthy, it takes us long to learn to trust. Um, for scriptural proofs on that first clause, we have Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you that fears Yahweh, 
that listens to the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. So, there's a learning to trust, learning to walk away, walk with with God. You know. So, um, Psalm 88, um, and it gives us the whole psalm, so I'm just going to read the whole psalm. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director, according to Mahalath, Leonith, a miskal of Hermon, the Ezraite. O Yahweh, the God of my salvation, I have cried out to you by day and throughout the and throughout the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry of lamentation. For my soul has been saturated with calamities, and my life has reached Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, released among the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the pit far below, in dark places in the depths. Your wrath lies upon me, and you afflict me with all your breath breaking waves. Selah. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have set me as an abomination to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Yahweh. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you do wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah. Will your loving kindness be recounted in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But as for me, O Yahweh, I have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Yahweh, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and about to breathe my last from my youth on. I bear your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your horrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me, my acquaintances, are in darkness. So this is the cry of a man who is facing tough times, abandoned in some sort of distress, um, crying out to God and asking why. This is a person who has the tendency, like all of us do, to look at our situations rather than God's promises, to determine where we are. Um, and so this is, a you know, the cry of the heart of someone who is growing to trust God, but isn't there yet. As they, they are going through all of the afflictions of this world, and we don't know what... what what the exactly the hard times were obviously he was abandoned by 
lover and friend alike, you know, alone, beset, something was, you know, and, and, and we've all felt that despair, the loss of a job, the, uh, the, 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 you know, painful end of a, of a marriage, um, friends who betray you that, you know, that there, we've all had these things happen to us in one form or another. And we've all fallen to our knees and cried out, why? And it, it, we can't base our assurance on our daily trials and afflictions that we go through in this life. The scriptures say that man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. We're going to have afflictions in this life. And that can't be the basis of our um, assurance of salvation. But it takes time and maturity to come to the point where we recognize that even in the midst of the worst troubles on this earth, we can trust in God and his promises. Because that, that trust is where our assurance ultimately comes from. And, and, of course, the supernatural testimony in our hearts of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us that we are indeed children of God, as we looked at in the previous paragraph. We're also given the first 12 verses of Psalm 77. For the choir director, according to Jaduthan of Asaph, a psalm, My voice rises to God, and I must cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my distress I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. I remember God, and I am disturbed. I muse, and my spirit faints. Selah. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I give thought to the days of old, the years of long ago. I remember my music in the night. I am musing with my heart, and my spirit is searching. Will the Lord reject evermore, and will he not be favorably, favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his word ended from generation to generation? Has God forgotten to be gracious, or has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, It is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds of Yah. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. So this is someone going through that next stage. The afflictions are still there, but now they're coming to realize that however bad things are, God is good. They're starting to realize that they can meditate on his deeds Think about what he has done. You know, look to the cross. You know, look to the empty grave. And and let your doubts fall away. Because he has done, you know, his wonders of old. And these are the things we are to meditate on. And so this psalmist, dealing with the same sorts of afflictions in life, you know, He's, he's feeling down. He's feeling the problems of the world. 
Yet, he is understanding that in his grief, God is still true, and God is still there. And it's reflecting upon the goodness of God that will eventually lift us out of grief and and sorrow over our troubles. And so it is a process of maturity for the Christian to come to the assurance of salvation. It's not an instantaneous thing. But the longer you walk with God, the fewer doubts you will have. And that is... The, you know, but the key is walking with God, trusting in the Lord. If you're not walking with God, then the doubts may indeed be, you know, serious. Because if you're not walking with God, then you should have doubts. Because you just, you know, am I truly saved? That's why we need to be in the Word every day. We need to walk with God every day, pray every day, be in church every week. These things are important for keeping us assured of our salvation. The next clause says, Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of means, attain thereunto. So this is saying that enabled by the Spirit, we can know what God has done for us, and we don't need special revelation for that. We don't need direct revelation from that. We don't need a fresh word from God. We have the Scriptures. This is the, the, the right use of means. We don't need extraordinary revelation. You know, the, the, this is one of the, the biggest errors of the charismatic movement is that, you know, if you're not hearing the voice of God, you know, talking directly to you, you know, telling you not to eat that Krispy Kreme donut or what, it, it, you know, ridiculous stuff like that. No, we have the scriptures. We have God's revelation. We can buy reading and meditating on the word of, you know, his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water who bears his fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. It's the meditation, you know, knowing and thinking on the word of God that is what, that's the right use of means it, it doesn't require, you know, that you witness miracles personally. You have accounts of miracles in the scripture. That's enough. So, you know, we don't need extraordinary revelation. We need to spend time with God in his word. And that's how our assurance will grow. Excuse me. First um, John four thirteen. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Yeah. Hebrews six eleven and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence 
so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not become dull, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So he says, you have to be diligent. Assurance and diligence come together. Diligently spend time in the Scriptures. Devote yourself continuously, as it says in Acts 2, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. You know, time in the Word, time with other believers, time in prayer with God. This is where assurance comes from. Um, and it requires diligence. It's it's not automatic. It's real. It's attainable, but it's not automatic. Yeah. There are true believers who are in a state of immaturity who do not understand that they are secure in the Savior. Um, there, there are those who you know, go through life worried that, you know, they're, they're, they're moving in and out of a state of grace, um, not understanding Jesus's words on the cross that it is finished, not understanding the perfect atoning sacrifice that was made there. This is not to say that they don't have it. This is to say they don't understand it because they haven't been diligently in the word of God. They've been elsewhere in their religious expression. The next clause says, And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience the proper fruits of this assurance. So, you know, again, diligence. Yeah. Make your calling and election sure. How do you do that? Not through good works. You make your calling and election sure by searching the Scriptures. And, and you become more and more sure of your calling and election. And... Out of that flows the duties of obedience, which he says are the proper fruits of this assurance. So, Romans 5, 1, 2, and 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Then verse 5, And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Um, so having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, you know, that is the source of our assurance, that we have faith in Christ, that his sacrifice was sufficient, that, that his perfect life and atoning death is all I need. 
to stand before God. And having faith in that and trusting in that. And then by faith in God, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is working in me to bring me to spiritual maturity. Um, and, and bring us to that hope, the hope of the glory of God in which we boast. And that does not put to shame, um, but it is a, a true hope. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is again talking about the fact that our Peace and joy in God comes not from our earthly circumstances. You can be rich, you can be poor, you can be a freeman, you can be a slave, you can be you know, wrongly imprisoned, you can be justly imprisoned. And yet, that's not how you determine your relationship with God. You determine your relationship with God. It is determined by your faith, by your hope. Because the kingdom of God is not of this world. So this world is at odds with the kingdom of God. So if you are part of the kingdom of God, you're going to have trouble here on this earth. Now, of course... This world is fallen and sinful. If you are not in the kingdom of God, you're going to have trouble on this earth. So you can't use the trouble on your on this earth either way. <laughs> you know, you can't say, "Oh, I'm having all this trouble. I must be right with God." Maybe, maybe that was uh, that was uh, Mother Teresa's big error. She saw a special spiritual dignity in poverty and suffering which there is none. Um, just as there is no special spiritual dignity by, you know, wealth and comfort. These are human conditions on this earth that don't reflect a person's relationship with God. Because we're all going to have trouble. We're all going to have times of trouble. We're all going to have times of of relative comfort and peace. So we can't base our assurance on our worldly condition because the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit so that you can have righteousness and peace and joy in the midst of the most horrible conditions on earth. Um, I think Alexander Solzhenitsyn was was uh, um, had the reputation of being joyful while he was in a Soviet gulag because he was right with God and he knew that this earth is not our home. So that that the, you know the righteousness and the joy and the peace come not from the circumstances of this world, but from our diligence in the word and time with God. Psalm 119, verse 32. 
I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. As we come to knowledge of the truth, having come to Christ by faith, as we grow in our knowledge of the truth, we grow in our obedience to the commandments of God. Because we trust him more and more. And so that's, that's, you know, because he enlarges our heart. We grow in our faith and in our knowledge and in our obedience. And it's all wrapped together. Then uh, verse 12, so far as it is inclined from men to looseness. Um, interesting word of the use of the word looseness here. Um, it, it, we are inclined to be fallible is what it's saying. So it's, we, we grow in our obedience and in our assurance, but we're, we never attain perfection. Um, and, and we are to, you know, grow in our knowledge of grace and our walk with the Lord, knowing that we're never going to get there on this earth in this life. It's going to be when he returns or we die and go to him that we will come to that full fruition of our, um, who we are to be. Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So, striving to be, to, to sin less. We'll never be sinless in this life, but the Christian sins less, if that makes sense. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that, denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, who gave himself for us, that he might, and, and then verse 14, that was one, 11 and 12, then verse 14, talking about Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness, and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. So, describing the Christian in that sense, the being zealous for good works, because that's what he has prepared for us. That zealousness comes with growth in knowledge and maturity in faith. So, assurance, obedience, all of these things are the product of sanctification. As we are conformed more and more into the likeness of the Son of God, we become more faithful, more assured, and more obedient. And so the, the, the assurance of faith is not automatic. It comes through maturity. All right. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 
He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The the colic for guidance. Heavenly Father, In you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Thursday. Have a blessed day. Um, Tomorrow's Friday. Weekend's almost upon us. As you go through the day today, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.